we're going to go back into the manual. We are going to be on page 77 to begin with, and we're going to jump ahead after that. There we go, now we got some sound. All right. Section 10, page 77. We're going to talk about a most important point here. And we're just going to basically hit this, state the facts. It's the way it is, so you'll know uh, the, the facts about this. And then we're going to move on. And I'm going to move back to some that we were talking about today. We're going to clear up some of those things, and then we're going to get right to the job of getting you people healed up. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, page 77 of the manual. <laughs> Section 10, total healing for the total person. <clears throat> healing is in redemption. Now, that's just a fact, right? Now... <clears throat> We're going to start here, and I'm going to read through some of this. And, and as I said, this is basically the most important point dealing with divine healing. Sin and sickness are always two fruits from the same tree. <clears throat> there is a, well, sin and sickness are always grouped together, as it says there also. But God made man a physical slash spiritual being. So redemption must also be a physical slash spiritual redemption. Right? He couldn't cure part of it. He had to cure all of it. So he had to do a double cure. Uh, actually, I think it was, um, I don't think who said it. It was either F.F. Bosworth or maybe T.L. Osborne or, no, there was somebody else. They said a double cure, or uh, yeah, double cure for a double curse. Mm. And he talks about the sin and the sickness and how Jesus paid for both of it. So <clears throat> some of the things, just to show you, in Psalm 103, verse 2, it starts out by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he, list, he starts listing the benefits. In verse 3, he says, Who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. Now, notice those are both there together. Now, I'm going to say some things <clears throat> that if your salvation is shaky in you, might scare you. All right? But here he said, He forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Now, if you don't think he did one, what makes you think he did the other? Because yeah. <clears throat> he said both right there together. Yeah. And nobody has a right to pick and choose which part of the Bible they're going to believe. You either take it all or leave it all. All right? So he said right there, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Right? So if he did one, he did them both. So if he forgave all your iniquities, then he healed all your diseases. Now, for some reason, well, mainly because it's been preached one-sided for so long, that uh, a lot of people have e an easier time sometimes believing in the healing or the forgiveness of their sins or their iniquities more so than they do in the healing of their diseases. But really, if you looked at it correctly, the reason people have a hard time sometimes believing in healing is because you start believing and then you see the healing. You don't always see the healing first before you believe. And then they say, well, yeah, but when you get saved, it's so much easier. Really? You got saved and never sinned again? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? So it's so much easier. So if you, have the, if you applied the same test to both, then you would have to say that it might be possible that you hadn't seen your salvation yet. Yeah, awful quiet. <laughs> Just something to think about there, all right? Now, if you go on down, he says in verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then verse 6, it says, The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He executes judgment for the oppressed, not on the oppressed. 
You get that? Yeah. So he has issued, if you have been oppressed, if you've been sick, diseased, uh, any, any form of oppression, he has executed a judgment for you. That means in your favor. That means that he's on your side. Right? That's a good thing. That, that's not bad judgment. That's good judgment. <clears throat> now, if you look, let's go ahead and we'll turn the page there. <clears throat> in, let's go right to page 79. We're going to look at healing and communion. Now, if you don't have a manual, you can actually find this also in your Bible because uh, all this is just basically scripture anyway. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is what we're going to be looking at. So you don't have to have a manual. Technically, the Bible is the manual. This is just kind of a study guide to go along with your manual. <clears throat> so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, the Apostle Paul was telling the Corinthian church, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now this do in remembrance of me. And you'll note here that Jesus broke bread first, just as he was whipped before he went to the cross. After the same manner, verse 25, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, don't make it just a ritual. Remember him, think about him, concentrate on that. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. So there's something about the, the bread and the cup that shows his death, not just one or the other. <clears throat> and you do this, you show the Lord's death till he come. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation or condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, then he, now notice here he's talking about the bread and the, 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 the cup, the wine or the juice, whatever you use during communion. And he said, when you eat this and you drink this, remember his death. And he said, this bread represents his body, which was broken for you. Now, we've taken that to mean the church, but in actuality, his, the church was never broken for anybody. That's right. He was talking about his physical body, and that bread represents his physical body, which was broken for us on the whipping post. Then his blood was poured out on the cross. Now, we know that the blood purchased our redemption, forgave our sins, but we also have to realize that bread isn't just there as a, a side dish. Mm. Right? That bread is there, and it's just as important as the other. Now, in the overall scheme of things, of course, it's more important than it is to be, to, you know, more important to be saved than it is to be healed. And if you don't get healed quickly, you need to be saved because you're going to be leaving here. Mm. Right? So you need, so healing, <laughs> you need to get healed so you can stay around longer. But he said here now, <clears throat> let a man examine himself. And matter of fact, I'll just throw this in there. This is not a, um, you know, I'm not trying to make a, per se, a doctrine that you practice out of this one point. But you'll notice here what they say, and I was doing some research on this, and it's pretty neat when you look back at the early church. I've got a, a <clears throat> several books that talk about how the early Christians practiced certain things and did certain things, and, and it's pretty interesting how they, what they believed and how they did things. And here it says, um, <clears throat> Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. And that word unworthily means not knowing why you're doing it or for what purpose. It doesn't mean you're not worthy to do it. It means unworthily literally means just not knowing why. 
<clears throat> so it becomes a ritual and not something real to you. But now notice it says, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man, first he says whosoever or whoever, then he says, but let a man examine himself and also let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks, and notice it says he and he and let this man do this. Now, the thing here, walk to a spider web of something. I got something. <laughs> it's coming into that back door and it's like, like fighting through something. So, anyway, he says, let a man examine himself. And in the early church, just like at the, if you go back and study the, the first Passover, that all they had to do was put the blood over the door and everybody in the house was protected. Isn't that something? And then he, then he tells us too that not only that the promise is not to us only, but to our whole household can be saved. Right? And if you look at this, it was amazing because in the early days of the church, it wasn't a matter of, you know, they weren't being sexist or anything. I mean, they weren't, you know, discriminating against anybody, but they saw the head of the household as the head of the household, and they, they, they automatically said that, that being the, the man or, or the man of the house, so to speak, they said that whatever he did went on the whole family. So whenever it talks about let him examine himself and let him do it, when he did that, it was for the whole family. And if you go back and read in uh, Numbers 21 where it talks about what their, uh, how these serpents came out and bit everybody because they had sinned against Moses and against God, and it said, whenever, let, let every man, whenever that man, it says that many of the people were bitten and the many of them were dying. Men, women, children, the whole bit. All bit, I should say. <laughs> and it said, but whenever they lifted up that serpent in the wilderness that represented Christ, and it was a serpent on a pole that represented Christ becoming sin for us, it said that whenever the man, whenever he looked, every man that looked upon it will be healed, and whatever he did represented the whole family. So if the family was bit, he looked and his whole family got healed. You go back and read it. It's, it's really amazing because they, they said these things and I was going back and checking it and I thought, yeah, you know, sure enough, that's what it says there. So it's pretty amazing when you look at some of these things that some things you just kind of take for granted because of our culture. And when you look at the culture they were in, it gives things a little slightly different slant sometimes and you can search it out and find out that's, that's pretty, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we do anything different. It's just neat to be a little more accurate and to be able to see these details. So, here he says in verse 30, For this cause, which is what? Not discerning the Lord's body is what he said right above it. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, he's talking about taking communion. And here he says that if people don't take it right, that's why some people are sick, why some uh, are, are weak, and why some people die early. Because they don't take communion right. Now think about that. So that also means that if you do it right, you should be able to eliminate sickness, weakness, and premature death in any congregation that practices it right. Mm -hmm. right? Now the fact that we have so much sickness and weakness and premature death in the church must prove that we in history have not been doing it right. Yeah. Right? Because there, he says, you have these things there because of that. So apparently they weren't doing it right, and apparently the church hadn't been doing it right for a long time. Because if you look at statistics, the church is not any healthier than the world around it. Right? And a lot of the things that apply to the world apply to the church also, and it shouldn't be. We ought to be a light in this world. We shouldn't be just like the world 
in the same problems and stuff, and it, that should cause the people to want to come to Christ. <clears throat> so he says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep, dying prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But now notice, here he's saying that we can actually partake. So whenever we take that bread, <clears throat> and, we, and we usually break it and bless it and pass it out, when you take that bread, you ought to be taking that bread, and just as when you take the cup and you're thinking this cup is symbolic of the blood that was shed for my sins, and, and because of the, the blood, uh, this is a remembrance of Jesus and what he did, and therefore I'm, I'm cleansed of my sin, and my, my sins are forgiven, then we ought to do the same thing with the bread, of looking at it and saying, well, this bread, this is for my healing. Amen. Well, by his stripes, because his body was broken, by his stripes I'm healed, and as I eat this bread, I receive my healing, and just as you can do the same thing with the, with the cup. So it should be a natural process. Now, if you don't believe in divine healing, then why do you eat the bread? Mm. There's, no, there's no other mention of the bread. There's no other reason for the bread. And nobody, you know, a lot of people don't know why they do it. Hence, the sickness and weakness in the church. They don't discern the Lord's body. So the key is to know why we do it, and don't let it just become a ritual, yeah. but let it become something real that we actually partake in. Now, I was in, I've told this story before. I was in uh, Kilmarnock, Virginia, a couple of years ago, and <clears throat> I'd done the, went to the whole DHT through all the training, and we had a, uh, They'd asked me to stay over the next day, and we talked about this a little bit during the DHT, during the, the training we did. And they said, we're going to have communion tomorrow. Would you stay and, and do the communion service and take us through this? And I said, yes, I'd be glad to do it. So we had the elements out in front, and we blessed it, prayed over it, passed it out. People took the, had the cup, had the bread, and <clears throat> we broke it. And, said, and I said, repeat this after me and focus on this now. Just think about this, that when you eat this bread, that whatever has is, is been wrong with you, uh, you just expect it to be gone by the time you swallow that bread. And I said, by the time it goes down, you're healed in Jesus' name. I said, just expect it. They said, okay. So everybody's ready. So we pass out the bread, pass out the cup. And I said, all right, take that bread. Take it and say this after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that by his stripes I'm healed. His body is broken for me, so I receive my healing right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Pretty much something like that. <clears throat> Ate the bread. When you're eating bread, it's quiet because... You're eating, right? So the whole place is quiet. And it was funny because we hadn't quite taken the cup yet. And so we, were, we actually used, uh, I think it was pita bread, something like that, something similar to that. And so you actually had to chew it up and swallow it. It wasn't, a, it wasn't that styrofoam wafer that <laughs> you use. You know, okay? That, <laughs> that kind of halfway dissolves in your mouth and your sticks on your tongue and your car, you know? And that's when you're really thankful for the juice to wash it down, you know? <clears throat> and so we hadn't drank the juice yet, and so we just finished eating that bread. And about that time, there was a, on where I was sitting, there was kind of two rows cut down the middle. And on this side, about two or three rows back, about that, there was a lady sitting there, and I hadn't really paid attention to her because I, I didn't see her during the other part of the, the training or thing. I guess she just went to church there. All of a sudden, she, she, she had bent over, and she let out this scream. And literally, I mean, it is a communion service. Mm -hmm. It's quiet. It's reverent. Holy. You know, yeah, holy. Everything's just, you know. And all of a sudden, somebody starts screaming. I mean, that's just not normal, right? <laughs> and she started screaming, so everybody's looking kind of like, and, and my first instinct was, great, I'm going to have to cast out a devil in the middle of a communion service, you know? <laughs> and so 
everybody's kind of looking at her and seeing what's going on. She had been over where her, her head was almost on her knees. And I didn't know it before, but everybody else there knew her. She had had a goiter that literally you could put your hand around on her neck. And whenever she ate that bread and said that, she said, and whenever she started raising up, she was going, I can't, I can't, I can't breathe. And, and she really couldn't talk or breathe or anything. And she just got, and you could, it, you could, it sounded like it was more and more, you know, choking her. And all of a sudden she, and screamed and let out another yell. And when she raised up, the goiter was gone, completely gone. The skin, because her skin had stretched around it, actually hung down. You could see it hang, hanging down because it had stretched it so much. <clears throat> and so as soon as she could breathe and talk, she started saying, we asked her what was going on, and she said, whenever I did that and I swallowed this, she said, Jesus, in her words, showed up, grabbed that goiter, and just started squeezing it until it burst. Mm. And she said, when it burst, it was all gone. Praise God. <clears throat> now that's, that was a, a dramatic case of that. We, we've had all kinds of other healing stuff. That's probably the most dramatic where something just so visible, just wow, there it went. You know, one second there, next second gone. We've had all kinds of other things and tumors disappear and different things happen. But <clears throat> as soon as we did that, it was funny because we, we hadn't drank the cup yet. So we're all standing there and this woman is completely healed. Everybody there knew her and all of a sudden they're looking at her and looking and now I'm like, okay, well, you know, everybody's excited and praising God and, and finally I said, okay, we get them all calmed back down. So, now we're going to take this cup, which is, was his blood, represents his blood, shed for the remission of sin. But you ought to have seen everybody. Because now this is real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's real. I mean, it was funny to watch these people. And they, they were doing everything. They were looking at that like, oh, no. You know, it's like, you know, because everybody's been raised that, you know, if there's sin in your life and you take that cup, you could drop dead, you know? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what people... <laughs> Somebody's looking at that, bread, that blood like, here we go, you know. I mean, you had so many people repenting. It, was, it turned into an evangelistic service, you know. I mean, we had people there. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought out prayer beads and were crossing themselves and doing everything. I mean, they were, make, were trying to make sure everything was right. So, and then they, they took that. And, but we had several people there that, you would have thought of or they would have classified themselves as just nominal Christians. You know, just, I believe in Jesus. Hadn't really lived like I think I should, but I believe in Jesus. But that when they drank that cup, they said it was like things changed. Mm. And it was like they knew, I've got to live what I know I'm supposed to live. Amen. And so there was a lot to that. So going through that, and the reason I bring that up is because I just want you to realize these are not rituals. Amen. Jesus did things for a reason, and they, they have reality to them. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> here we, we I kind of jumped into that, but in Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8, on page 80 of your manual, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, <clears throat> that's out of Isaiah chapter 53, and it's verse 4. And Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, 
<clears throat> smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Over and over again, he for our, he for our. And he took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses, our diseases. The words griefs and sorrows there in Isaiah in the Hebrew literally mean uh, anguish, uh, maladies, diseases. It means literally physical things. It says he took those upon himself. And he bore them as a punishment so that we would not have to. Literally, that's what that means. And so we can see that what Jesus did, it wasn't just what he did on the cross, but it was what he also did at the whipping post. And we need to know that he bore those things as a punishment so that we don't have to. And it is no more right for you to be sick and say that you're, well, you know, I'm bearing this for Jesus' sake, or, or God's using this to make me a better person, or he's, any of that stuff. It's not right for you to be sick any more than it is for you to live in sin. Jesus bore both for you. Now, now listen carefully. The same words are used in Isaiah 53, 4, and in Isaiah 53, 11, and 12. And in 53, 11, and 12, he says, He shall see you the travail of his soul, shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And the word for bear there is the same word for born up in verse 4 that says he bore our infirmities. Same word. So whatever he did with our, sick, with our sins, he did the exact same thing with our sicknesses. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand of that, on the other side, if, he, if you say he did not bear my sicknesses, then you also have to say he didn't bear your sins. See, it, again, that's one thing that's good about God. I mean, one major point. It's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. You can't pick and choose. This is not a, it's not a buffet. Right? You don't come through and say, well, I have some of that, but I don't want that. No, nope. it's all. Mm -hmm. Right? So you have to realize what he did for you. Even without you asking him, he did it and made it available. Now, we're going to move on because I want you to see here. Where we at? Yes. Yeah, good. Back to section 12, page 85, kind of moving forward there. Now, I want you to realize this. And actually, I, I taught on this not too long ago. I taught two sessions. I taught one on healing and the atonement, and then I taught one called If Healing is in Redemption. And I think they're both CDs over there on the table. If you want one when you head out, you feel free to grab one. Uh, Kevin can help you find them if he's over there. You know, uh, If I tell you about something, I'm not trying to sell it to you. right? So if you want one and there's enough over there, then help yourself. We got those. Uh, either one, Actually, if you can get both of them, it'd be best because that way you can hear like part one and part two, and it goes into it. It's highly, highly important. Uh, another thing, some of you might have questions about judgment and thinking that something is a judgment of God or something like that. If, that, if you have thought that, then please, there's a CD over there called The Truth About Judgment. And so please grab that on your way out. It will help you. You will realize that whatever's going on in your life, it is not the judgment of God against you. Right? You need to know that. And so it, it'll free you, honestly. And so it is, uh, and there's another one called... Um, God has judged oppression. See, God has judged oppression and said he doesn't want you oppressed. He wants you free. Mm -hmm. So it's good if you could get a hold of that one and listen to it just so that you can know that if there's any oppression in your life, it's not from God. Amen. God wants you free. He wants you healthy. He wants you well. Listen, he wants you working in his field, right? Because the harvest fields are ripe unto harvest. Isn't that right? The fields are ripe. He wants you working in the field. He needs all the food. He says the fields are right, but what? The laborers are few. 
He wants more laborers. Now, how many of you know that well people can work harder than sick people? Yes. God is smart, right? He wants you well so you can work harder. Amen? Now, so that just go, we could go further on that, but I'll leave it at that at this point. Now, notice, every healing, the first healing in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham prayed for a, a heathen a king, Abimelech, and God healed a heathen king just because Abraham prayed for him. That's pretty good, okay? And then the last healing under the old covenant was when Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Remember, the, remember they, they came after Jesus and Peter grabs a sword and wasn't a good aim and hit the ear instead of the head like where he was aiming. I guarantee Peter was not aiming for an ear, okay? <laughs> He swung and the man moved. That's what happened. And he got his ear cut off. And then Jesus healed the man's ear. Now, every healing, now get this, this is big, okay? Every healing from Abimelech in Genesis 17 to Malchus, there, the, you know, what's second from the last chapter of every gospel, okay? Every one of those, from one to the other, was all by faith in what Jesus was going to do at the whipping post. Right? By his stripes, you were healed. It's the stripes that paid for every healing. <clears throat> so every healing that took place from Abimelech to Malchus's ear was by faith. God did it in faith that Jesus would pay the price at the whipping post because that's the price that paid for every healing. Mm. So that means, and this, see, this will explain something to you because that's why faith was such a big deal about getting healed all through the Old Testament, all the way in through Jesus' ministry over and over again. He was always saying, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Why? Because it was all in faith because it had not yet been paid for. What do you call faith? Well, remember in the old days, now I don't remember these days exactly, but I remember hearing about them, but <clears throat> used to when they would say, uh, you'd go into town and say, I, I, I need this, this, this material and I don't have the money for it. And the man said, he, he did, back then they wouldn't say, well, I'll give it to you on credit. What they said was, I'll give it to you in good faith. Yeah. Why good faith? Well, I know you don't have the money. You're not going to pay for it now. You're going to get it now and pay for it later when you, when you can. And that's good faith. Getting something before it's paid for is getting it by credit or getting it in good faith. Right? That's why it's so important that faith is mentioned all the way through up until Jesus's scourging at the whipping post. Why? Because it was all by faith. It had not yet been paid for. It was all on credit. Right? That's why it's so important whenever he went into the garden and he started saying, Father, if there's any other way, don't let it happen. You got to realize what had already been kind of racked up as a, you know, charges. You know what I'm saying? He, there was quite a big bill out there that needed to be paid for. All right? Now, now I, I would dare say that if Jesus didn't go to the whipping post, Malchus's ear probably would have just fallen back off. I don't know. Okay, anyway, okay. Because <laughs> it wasn't paid for, you see? You see? Yeah, it would, yeah, get, yeah, repossessed. There you go. There you go. Got his ear repossessed. There you go. So. <laughs> you know, they said that's what happens to you if you don't pay your exorcist. You, you get repossessed. Okay, anyway. Okay. We're just going to move on. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm, I'm here all week, folks. I'm here all week. <laughs> so, but whenever he paid for that, now think about this. They were looking forward to this 
price being paid, right? It hadn't been paid yet, so everybody up until Jesus went to the whipping post, they all looked forward to it being paid, but it wasn't paid yet. Now think about this. He went to the whipping post, and he went back to Pilate. Pilate wanted to let him go, and then they said, no, you can't do that. So then Pilate had him crucified, right? right. Imagine if Pilate had said, I ain't going to listen to you. I'm going to let him go anyway. What would that mean? You could be healed, but you couldn't be saved. Mm. You see? It was two separate events tied together. But they were still two separate events. Yeah. So by his stripes, you were healed. By his blood, by his crucifixion, by his death, we've been redeemed. Right. Got that? Now, so all of that was up to, now they were looking forward in faith of something that had not yet been done. Now let me ask you this. Has, has Jesus went to the whipping post? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's a fact, right? Matter of fact, I, just before I came out, I was looking at um, <clears throat> Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century. And he several times actually mentions Jesus and talks about him being crucified under Pontius Pilate. Now, Josephus was not a Christian, right. right? He was a secular Jewish historian who had no reason to lie, right? If anything, he had a reason, you know, to, to go the opposite way and say that Jesus wasn't crucified, that it was all a hoax or something else. But he, he gives validity to the fact of, of, the, of the story about how Jesus was crucified. And he even talks about him being raised from the dead, right? And, and even believing that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead doesn't get you saved. A lot of people believe that. Why? Because that is a physical, historical fact. So if Jesus went to the whipping post as a historical fact, then it's no longer a matter of faith, but fact. Mm -hmm. You get that? Mm -hmm. They were looking forward in faith. We are looking back to a fact. That's why I tell people, num two things here I want to emphasize. Number one, healing is not a faith issue. Okay? Healing is a fact. Now, whether you partake or not is up to you or what you believe. There are people who believe that Jesus, that because of those stripes, they can get healed and they get healed. And they're not even saved. Imagine that. You say, why would Jesus heal somebody and them not be saved? I don't know why he healed anybody in the Gospels, because he healed all of them and they weren't saved. Right? Jesus never dealt with a Christian. Now think about that. He never dealt with a Christian. So everybody he ever dealt See, people say, well, you know, if you don't get all the sin out of your life, God won't heal you. Okay, everybody Jesus dealt with were unborn again, hence sinful. Right? They, and according to the Bible, they weren't just, they didn't just have sin, they were sin. See, before you got saved, you were sin. Sin was in your life. It was, it was you were totally permanent. You were infected with a terminal disease called sin. Amen. All right? And then you got inoculated with the blood of Jesus. You had a blood transfusion, and now you have a new immune system. All right? You get the picture. So we're looking back to a fact. So it's not a matter of people say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith for healing. Who said you have to have faith for healing? There's no word in the Bible that says you have to have faith for healing. There's nothing in it at all that says that. It says lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Right? But, but healing is a fact. Matter of fact, people say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. Well, let me ask you, how much faith does it take? <clears throat> because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, which was the smallest seed, of all seeds. So he said, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain into the ocean. Isn't that amazing? 
And yet we say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. Well, all you got to have is the smallest amount. And if you don't have the smallest amount, you got none at all. Right? right. But if you have the smallest amount, this is what's so amazing. We talk about the backwards church, how we do everything backwards. The Bible says that if we have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, the smallest seed possible, that we can move a mountain into the ocean. What does the church say? That if we have faith the size of a mountain, we can move a tumor the size of a mustard seed. Oh. <laughs> That's the way it comes out. We talk about, oh, how much faith do I have? I have to have great faith. I have to have... Listen, Jesus, when he said the smallest amount of faith will do it, that means the amount of faith never comes into play. Okay? Kind of like being pregnant. You either is or you ain't. Right? If you have any at all, you got enough. You got that? Any at all, you got enough. So it's not about amount. So if it's not about amount, what is it about faith that makes it so valuable to God? Why is it that without faith you can't please Him? It's because it's not the amount of faith, it's the quality of faith. See, it's not, it's not how much, it's what kind. And the kind of faith that God counts as valuable is a faith, it, it's called perseverance faith. It's a faith that starts and doesn't stop until it gets what it came for. Do you get that? It doesn't give up halfway. It doesn't take no for an answer. I mean, think about this. Here Jesus was, he, he told me, he said, I, I'm not sent to the lost sheep of the, I, I'm not sent to the Gentiles, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We got to go to them first. This woman came to him and said, Jesus, my daughter's got a devil. She needs help. He said, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. When if I talk to you that way, you... You try to walk off and write bad things about me on the internet. <laughs> right? If I talk to you like that. But he, he told that one, and that woman said, that's right, that's true. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, what was she saying? I hear what you're saying, and I ain't going nowhere till my daughter gets healed. That's a mama. Exactly, that's a mama. Isn't that right? She didn't give up. Now listen, and the funny thing is, Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, don't. Don't you talk back to me. <laughs> he didn't say that. Amazingly, you know what he said? Woman, because of that saying, you have great faith. And because of that saying, your daughter is free. Your daughter is healed. Now think about that. God in the flesh just said no. And the woman said, too bad. <laughs> Isn't that it? She said, I hear you. And I ain't going nowhere. I'm getting what I came for. And then, her not taking no for an answer, Jesus says, woman, you got great faith. Now think about that. So what is the, what is the definition of great faith? Not taking no for an answer. Mm. Yeah, just being stubborn. Just persevering. In other words, once you decide what God has for you, and, you, and especially if you can find it in the Bible where it says this is a promise, then you, once you grab a hold of that, you just don't let go. You just hang on. And you keep going, and you don't quit until you see what you're believing for. Amen. If you stop before then, you had little faith. You get that? You had, you had a faith that, and, and the thing is, even if you stop, you can later say, you know what? I shouldn't have stopped. And you can pick it right back up where you laid it down and go right on to the end. Amen. I mean, it, your faith where you lay it down, it just sits there and waits to, for you to pick it back up and go the rest of the way. Amen? Amen. Now, the only other person Jesus ever talked about amount to or, or having great faith with was the Roman centurion. Isn't it funny the only two people he ever told them they had great faith were people that were not in the covenant? Mm -hmm. 
Gentiles. Gentile people. Not even a part of God's plan, so to speak, as far as, you know, the covenants and all that kind of Imagine that. And he told them they had great faith. Well, why would he tell them they had great faith? Well, because it takes more faith if you're not related. Amen. Right? I mean, come on, if my son needs money, he's going to come to me and say, Dad, I need money. And, and it wouldn't take much faith for him to do that, right? But it would probably take more faith for somebody who didn't know me to walk up and ask me for it. Why? Because he's my son. I'm going to take care of him, of course, right? It, I, I'm more likely to just give it to him. But at the same time, so it takes more faith if you're not related, right? Yeah. Now, but now think about this. The greatest faith you'll ever have is the first time you do something because that has the least amount of evidence to it. You have no reason to have evidence to it. And the next time you do it, you can say, well, the last time it worked. So the next time you do it, you don't have greater faith, you have less faith. Amen. So you always have to find bigger and greater things to do to have the same amount of faith. It's like lifting weights. If you're going to lift weights, you got to keep increasing the weight, right? Because every time it gets easier. It doesn't get harder to lift the same amount, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going to have the, if you're going to exert the same amount of effort, faith, then you've got to have bigger projects. Wow. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't take more faith to, to get bigger projects. It takes bigger projects to just stay the same. Think about that. Didn't know that was coming out tonight, but make a note. We'll write that down later. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> See, sometimes I preach to myself. I don't know if you know that or not, but most preachers end up preaching to themselves. Half the time when they're preaching, they're preaching stuff they need to hear. Right? So, and the ones that the ones that are really blasting the sin. <laughs> but you didn't hear that from me, okay? So now we're going to go. <laughs> All right. Let's go over here to page 120 of your manual, or if you have a Bible and you want to use just the Bible, it's the same thing. It's just Scripture, Judges 16. Judges 16. Now we're going to. Try to move on in this pretty quick here. Judges 16. I think we'll stop there because he's about to uh, get into what really would be another segment. And uh, this is kind of what I was thinking we were.